0: Hello, and welcome to the Let's Do a Crime podcast. I'm Ryan, he, him.
1: And I'm Mouse, they, them.
0: And our hot opening for this week. In June 2005, a library employee found a utility blade in a reading room of Yale's Benneke Rare Book Library. She checked the logbook, googled the last name of the well, probably not Google, but searched the last name of the book, and found a rare map dealer, and then called security. This is the story of Edward Forbes Smiley III.
1: Oh yes, so I'm so excited.
0: This one was suggested by Mouse.
1: Yeah, and it was suggested to me by a coworker, a, f- a former coworker, whose uh, wife works in publishing.
0: Which would probably why they heard about it.
1: Yeah, like he didn't know like all the details, and he did get some of the details of the case wrong, just from like the cursory Google search that I did to then recommend it to you. Um. But, aside from the name and like the fact that this case involves books and maps, I don't know anything else.
0: yeah, I thought this was gonna be a short one, but then as far as I started digging it 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 wasn't so no no trigger warnings for this episode this is this is a pretty light one i mean there's there's obviously fraud and theft involved, but like nothing really traumatizing unless you're super 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 into books.
1: Okay, I mean, as long as, like, no people got, like, hurt, yeah, like, nope. physically, or, like, were traumatized, I guess, that's, yeah, that's always As far it. as I could
0: find, no one got hurt in this.
1: Okay, good. Physically. Yay. Obviously, people
0: got financially hurt, but, like, no one physically well, got hurt.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, Mouse, are you familiar with rare book archives? No. So, rare book ar- archives are museums. They're high security. They're usually run by public institutions uh sometimes access is restricted to researchers and students, not always some do allow public access after some screening steps. uh is actually one that does allow public access the uh, okay. The books themselves are usually kept in secure climate controlled cabinets. The library staff will actually bring the book to you. you can't go like select it
1: yeah that makes that makes sense to me because like if they're rare books, I'm assuming they're old, they're out of print so. It would be imperative for them to make sure that these books are like well taken care of to preserve them for as long as possible.
0: Yeah, so these are usually rare antiques. They're often fragile and irreplaceable, hence the yeah, need for yeah. the scrutiny. Sometimes, as well, you also have things that aren't necessarily rare or or antique, but like are just heavily restricted. Um, there are like private libraries for like the president and stuff like that of things mm-hmm. that are classified. Uh, the books when you go to one of these libraries, are restricted to a reading room. So you can't like check them out like a library and you're not going to yeah. be sitting like in the normal library reading room, reading them. They're, okay. they're usually, they usually have a stand that the book sits on. The room is usually climate and humidity controlled. So they're usually pretty cold. You usually have to wear gloves to handle the books. What you can bring in is restricted. Sometimes you have to wear a mask. Uh, flash photography is usually prohibited. And mm-hmm. so, so a lot of this is for the preservation of the books, obviously, but yeah. some of this is actually for safety, too, because a lot of old books will have, like, arsenic ink and stuff like that. So it's, Which
1: makes sense.
0: Yeah, so sometimes this is also for your safety, where you might have to wear a mask mm. if you might have to breathe in lead dust or something.
1: Yeah, I will say that, like, um, I did work at a museum before, and this is very striking to me in terms of, like, similarity. This sounds to me mostly like the archives of a museum, where, like, there's the general front of house where people can like look at at uh, historical artifacts but then there's also like the archive which is in like the back of the museum house and you again you need to like have special permission and everything that you're saying here to see those items as well so it's like a book museum
0: yeah it pretty much is with rare book archives it's usually easier to get access to a museum like me as uh as a member of the public, even if I was researching something, probably couldn't get access to your museum's archives. I would have to, like, really be someone in the industry. But with rare book archives, there's quite a lot. I've actually been in some of the rare book archives here at the university. Uh, While my dad was doing some of that law stuff, I got access to some of the uh, law rare book archives, which is pretty cool because you get, like, old original copies of, like, founding documents of the province and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, for people who, like, don't know you, do you want to mention the law stuff that your dad was, was doing?
0: Uh, I'm gonna go into, I'm gonna help make a whole series on, on laws and legal concepts and stuff like that. My dad wasn't a Mm -hmm. lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) Uh, I fully believe that my dad probably could have passed the bar at some point in his adulthood, but he, he was weird, and as a result (laughs) I got access to some cool stuff.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, then I guess just for now, all people need to know is that your dad did law stuff and you saw it sometimes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I've, I've actually got a note in here that's sort of similar to Museum Archive, which you've already brought up. But there, and just like Museum Archive, there are some archives that are restricted because the information they contain is specifically restricted. So the most famous example being the Vatican Archives. It's. Ooh. Yeah, all the original texts that comprise like all the holy books, stuff like that. People don't realize that there's a whole lot more holy texts in Christianity than the Bible, but most of them are in the Vatican archives, and you can't look at them. So there's lots of conspiracies that? about that.
1: Yeah, how much you're to bet they say things like being gay is okay?
0: Well, some of them have been leaked because like the 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 this is a bit of a tangent, but the Bible is comprised of a bunch of a uh, bunch of the historical texts that. The, uh council of Nicaea decided it would be the, the definitive Bible so they threw out some stuff that they knew was not true at the time like there's a few that are kind of known about there was one gospel which talked about Jesus meeting dragons as a child and by <laughs> <No>. the time <laughs> by the time they made the Bible they knew that dragons weren't real so they cut that out which I think is disappointing because there was a story about Jesus and dragons in the original scripts but
1: maybe we'll be able to find it one day
0: yeah maybe when the Vaticans the museum uh there's also like some law libraries like i mentioned uh you can usually get access to law libraries you just need to go through some vetting processes but they're usually pretty good about getting you access if you legitimately are trying to research something uh and presidential libraries which are somewhat restricted basically uh, actually i'm going to talk about the presidential libraries a little bit they're kind of interesting historically presidents of the united states would keep their own documents resulting in many of them being lost scattered uh was a huge security issue. Some presidents did establish their own public archives, but there was no real formal system of it until 1955. And then the presidents weren't required to hand over all their documents until 1978. Many pre- presidents are actually buried under their library. Right, oh. So now every president of the United States now, when they become president, uh, a library is established usually in either their hometown or home district that is specifically for their documents. So all the presidential documents remain property of the library while the president is on office, and that helps them keep from going missing or ending up in a briefcase in Mar-a-Lago, but mm. yeah, that's, <laughs> so there's there's supposed to be some control of it now, but historically before 1955, there was no control of it. The president did whatever the hell they wanted.
1: Yeah, because they're the big important people.
0: Yeah, and there are lots of private special collections too. Some will allow you to be allow access to it. A lot of them are just like art collections though, where they just locked away somewhere and unless you know the guy who owns it you're not getting in
1: yeah unfortunately there's way too much hoarding of historical items i think that rich people do and i don't think they really care about it i think they just do it
0: yeah one thing i left out in this whole thing was that one of the reasons why maps is so particular here is because as art collecting got into the millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. a lot of like, people looking to collect art for financial investments who couldn't necessarily afford millions of dollars but were still fairly rich, started getting into map and rare book collecting, which is where this whole story is kind of coming into play. But the the New York Public Library has a special collections, and the only reason I mention them, because a lot of public libraries do, is because they also have their own special patrolmen as security, which, as far as I can tell, is not really police, but they're almost police. And, of course... It's New York. Every single agency of New York City has their own special police for whatever reason.
1: Mm-hmm. Of course.
0: Uh, the Do be- they
1: have like special patches?
0: I couldn't find one. I don't think that they're like uh, uniformed people. I think they're more like investigators.
1: Oh, okay. Because so I, I thought it would be really fun if they had like.
0: Every picture fun. I could find of any investigation they were involved in, they were wearing suits and ties. So I think they're more like detectives. But uh, okay. Because most of the New York Public Library locations have, like, security guards doing security and not, like, cops. But uh, the Benecke Library itself is very cool. The exterior walls are marble panels that filter sunlight. The books are kept in a glass tower in the center of the building and underground. And there's a public oh. viewing area with many articles of public display. So it's, like, inside the building, there's a there's this cube of marble. And inside that, there's a tower of glass with books in it and around that on the floor are just like display cases of like rare artifacts so honestly
1: that sounds beautiful and i would love to see that in oh, person <laughs> i would
0: love to see it's open to the public like if i remember ever in the air in the area i'm going there
1: yeah hell yeah i would i would kill because that sounds just from that description so pretty
0: this library also pioneered the use of extreme cold as treatment to prevent pests from coming in with new materials so i guess they had some problems with infestations and one of the questions is, how do you treat this without damaging the books? Because if you use any mm. kind of chemicals or whatever in the air, that could that could damage some of these books. And yeah. they found one reliable way that rarely ever damaged anything was just to freeze it. Deep freeze for a few days, kills everything.
1: Which is so interesting, because you'd think that like the, the condensation from the... Uh, water in the air cooling and then warming up would.
0: Well, if they're using it the, like the way air conditioning works, it actually pull like air conditioning actually pulls moisture out of the air. So if they use oh. that similar process, then they could probably freeze it with really dry air.
1: Okay, I I actually did not know that that's how air conditioning worked.
0: Yeah, that's actually what it was invented for is to pull pull moist air out of out of uh, like machine shops and stuff like that. The fact that it just cooled down the workers was like a nice side benefit but it was really just keep the machines from like rusting and jamming and stuff
1: of course
0: so forbes smiley so mm-hmm. even though his name was ever forbes smiley everything i've read refers to him as forbes smiley he was born on april thirteenth, 1956 his father was a physicist and engineer who collected rare antique gardening books uh, this is a hobby that forbes continued uh, he went to Dairyfield High School, a college prep school, who his parents were co founders of, apparently. He studied at Hampshire College. Uh, couldn't find if he got any degrees, but he did uh, did study history and philosophy. Amen. Hey, get...
1: No shame if he is a dropout. Like, that's. We've all been there.
0: I mean, it doesn't even have to be a dropout. Like, you know, I've got like four or five years of post secondary education, but they weren't all in the same thing, so I don't actually have a degree in anything. <laughs>
1: That's also true. He could just have studied stuff, but not actually gotten a degree for any of his studies, because they didn't all happen to coincide with a degree.
0: And at this time, also, having a degree wouldn't necessarily be, like, the thing you would go to college for. Just being college-educated would be enough to get you a job in the 70s.
1: Yeah, because people would be like, holy shit, you did advanced book learning?
0: Pretty much. (laughs) So he got a job in the late '70s at B. Altman, which is apparently a New York store that is a rare book that has a rare book and map department. So, B. Altman, I guess, is like an apartment store, but they had a department of it that was rare books and maps. Uh, oh, there,
1: we think of
0: yeah. Uh, there he developed an interest and an expertise in rare maps. So this is this is where he kind of cut his teeth. He was working for a store that sold these things. Uh, he left B. Altman in the '80s. Started his own map business and had early success helping wealthy collectors build their collections quickly and became kind of famous in the industry. He is even credited for helping build one of the map collections with the New York Public Library. Uh, He briefly had his own gallery, but it was burglarized and he lost most of his uninsured stock, so he rebuilt his business as a home business instead. Okay. So he's had a lot of early successes and and some setbacks here, but seems like a pretty reasonable career building
1: this seems like a pretty straightforward career trajectory to me so far
0: yeah one article i read said he and his wife quote unquote lived modestly uh this article must have been written by a rich person because he pissed away money (laughs) yeah so (laughs) his wife and him bought a vacation home so this is their second home not their main home uh of course
1: because it's modest to have a vacation home (laughs) yeah
0: so they bought a vacation home in a tiny town called uh, in tiny town in Maine called Sebeck, which mm-hmm. I looked into this at the time. It would be like sixty people, so like a tiny, tiny town,
1: very, very small population.
0: Yeah, he did a period correct re- restoration on the house, so like it was like some Victorian house. He did a period correct restoration at it at great personal expense. He also became heavily involved in turning the town into like a co- kind of preserved preserved historical district. So he was buying up buildings in town, such as the general store and the post office, and giving them similar restorations.
1: So, okay, so he was basically just buying property and then restoring it.
0: Yeah, so when they say lived modestly, I think they meant, like, like his everyday life was would look more like most of us's, just, like, normal kitchen, no, like, staff in your house or whatever. But he was also buying up buildings and restoring them, so, like, I don't think that counts yeah. as being modest.
1: No, especially like that—that's so much money.
0: This doesn't really play into this story at all, but apparently, like most of the, this town, loved him for these restorations because they loved their like little, little weird historical town. But he yeah. had—he had—he um, had a rivalry with a town called the Moriartys, which I love, like because
1: oh my god, <laughs> there was a
0: family called the Moriartys uh, over zoning yeah. restrictions because they were trying to build like a modern marina or something like in that in town and he was opposing it because it was too modern and ruined the aesthetic and oh my god this resulted in many costly legal battles
1: okay but honestly kind of same not in terms of money obviously because there's no way in hell i'd ever be able to afford something like this but like i totally get it like if you live in a historical area and then someone introduces something that's like of a modern aesthetic to it it just kind of ruins the vibe of the whole area
0: yeah i think i think he actually lost because the the town was so small it wasn't like really a town, so they didn't really have zoning regulations at all. So you could kind of do whatever the hell you wanted there. and so they Which is
1: also he, fair, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, Smiley was in massive debt seemingly most of the entire time he worked for himself. The IRS places multiple liens on their houses. So it seems like he would get into massive debt. The IRS, which...
1: They, they place liens?
0: Yeah, liens. So what a lien is, is that if, um, if Say if i'm a contractor and i've done some work for someone on their house and they don't pay me i can put a lien on their property which means that they can't do anything with it they can't sell it they can't mortgage it oh, okay. uh, it, it basically locks it in until the lien is settled so the irs this is one thing that, that tax agencies will do before they seize your property they'll put a lien on it which will yeah. keep keep you from doing anything with it until you resolve it but it seems like because they put multiple liens on it, it seems like they probably put one on he would pay off his debts and resolve it and then they would take it off, and this happened multiple times. Okay. Yeah. So, fast forward to 2005. Staff member Naomi Saito found an exacto blade on the floor of the reading room and brought it to the attention of her supervisor, Ellen Kords. Obviously, such an item is prohibited in the Beneke reading room, so yeah. she checked the sign in log, found that Smiley was a dealer in Rare Maps, and called security. Now, the Beneke staff then contacted the main Yale library... And learned that they that the main Yale, Yale library had been suspicious of Smiley some time. They couldn't prove anything, but there was some connections between missing items and and Smiley that they already knew of. Mm-hmm. So security began to monitor Smiley's movements around the campus, and contacted the campus police. Uh, Smiley was apparently found with seven maps on him, three of which were that matched books matched the books he just examined. Uh, he was asked about the Exacto blade and admitted he had dropped it. Uh, he was asked where he got the maps. Was unable to give a verifiable answer and was arrested for larceny.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> He's just like I don't know. They were just in my pocket.
0: Which is kind of funny because I read the account of of this whole thing. Like a uh, a Yale detective, like part of their police agency, had stopped him and questioned mm-hmm. him. And like I'll note that if Smiley had just walked away, there's a good chance <laughs> they didn't have enough evidence to arrest him at that moment. They probably would later and get an arrest warrant. But yeah. He kind of tried to talk his way out of it and ended up talking himself into the arrest, which is common and funny.
1: Yeah, you're always telling me about people, like, saying dumb shit.
0: Yeah, people will just walk up to uniformed law enforcement people and just admit stuff. And it's like, what are you doing? Don't- Yeah. No, shut up.
1: Yeah, like, the amount of people I've seen, like, because people may not know listening, but, like, I am a fan of, like, like, serial killer documentaries and stuff. A fan's not really the white the right term for it, but like I've seen a lot of it. I find them very interesting. And so many people who commit murder, like horrific murder, will just I- admit to it, but like they won't admit to it, but they'll give details that are way too obvious, but then be like, but I just saw it. I wasn't I wasn't part of it. And I'm like, my guy, just shut up. Just shut the fuck up.
0: Yeah. And one thing I, I find really annoying is that, is that the, it was very difficult to find out exactly how this went down. Wikipedia and, like, almost every news article about this, basically said that, oh, yeah, an employee found an exact night. They called security. He was arrested. So, like, that like and for a little while, I'm like, did security arrest him? Can they do that down there? Like, this doesn't no. seem like a thing that security should just be able to do. But, no, it was uh, campus police, and he... Basically gave him enough evidence to, to actually arrest him on the spot.
1: What a dumbass.
0: Where was I in here? Okay, the the maps were examined by William Reese, another rare book collector. The maps stolen were from Beneke were really easy to confirm. All they had to do was uh, compare the damage in the books to the maps. So mm-hmm. that those books had insect damage consistent with the books they came from. So Beneke had an infestation decades prior, which is why they developed the cold treatments. And so right. all they had to do was look at, like, the insect damage on the pages and compare them to the maps and they matched so they know that, that those are their maps yeah some of the maps not claimed by Benicky yeah uh, some of the maps that he had that weren't claimed by Benicky, uh turned out to be very accurate replicas this was oh never proven as far as i can tell but this created some speculation that he might have been swapping genuine maps for recreations Uh, Most staff, even in special collections, would lack the specific knowledge to tell a high-quality replica from an original, because even even like staff in special collections, like like the specifics of like specific maps would be like really really industry-specific knowledge. So like the staff working in a rare book library would have general expertise on rare books, but maybe not specifically on these maps. So a really high-quality yeah. Yeah,
1: I could I could definitely see somebody spending like decades just studying one book so that doesn't surprise me at all
0: yeah and a lot of articles i I read noted that because the fact that map collecting was only starting to become like like art collecting around this time Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a lot of institutions didn't really document their maps really well and didn't think much of them other than just they're a part of the book and so as a result of this now they do kind of track maps in books specifically as rather than just considering a part of the book So, one article I read goes on a rant about how Beneke using Xactoblade was more destructive than he needed to be, and then the article actually went on to explain less destructive methods for removing pages from old books, which I found very funny, (laughs) which, like, I've obviously left that out because I don't want people going stealing old maps and stuff like that. But this guy was yeah. like, was like, he's like, if he wants to steal the maps, like that's one thing, like that's bad enough. But he was damaging the books. He could have just done it this way, and it wouldn't have damaged the book at all. And I just thought that was that's that is definitely a rant from someone who has a very specific interest in this case.
1: Oh, absolutely! Like they have passion, but like this this was a bit misguided.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Smiley originally claimed innocence, but later in court, he admitted to stealing ninety-seven maps from six institutions.
1: Ninety-seven. Uh,
0: uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. still 97. Well, that's what he admitted to. So oh my
1: god, I didn't think it was that many.
0: The institutions he stole from were Benneke, obviously, Boston Public oh. Library, Harvard, Newberry, the British Library, and the New York Public Library, which I'll note he helped build their collection.
1: Oh my god, what an asshole!
0: He did assist the FBI in locating most of them. Uh, 91 of the 97 maps were recovered. Okay. Yeah. His assistance was notable and was factored into his conviction because it's really unlikely anyone who found out they had a stolen map would ever come forward. Uh, the maps which, were t- yeah. yeah. The maps were typically seized and returned to the lawful owners and no compensation given to the buyers. They would have to sue him for compensation, which I mean, can only get so much blood from a stone, right?
1: Right. So, so this it, is like when people find out that like paintings that they have were stolen. That yeah. like didn't already know that that was likely the case you know what i mean
0: yeah so like even if you bought it in good faith not realizing it was stolen and you found out it was stolen later you know that as soon as you tell anyone you're going to lose it and you're not going to get your money back so you might as well just pretend you don't have it yeah which is shitty but it's the way people think so he was sentenced to three and a half years uh he was also ordered to pay 2.3 million in damages i believe he had to sell a lot of his properties to make this up but that is not the end of the story
1: of course not. He only served three and a half years.
0: Well, he, uh, as far as I know, he hasn't done anything like since he got out. But uh, while Smiley had a reputation for sourcing rare maps, he also had a reputation for bouncing checks. Reese himself, so Reese is the guy who who examined the maps that were found with Smiley. Uh, yeah. Reese himself stated he had bought a book of rare maps at an auction and was immediately offered double by Smiley. He sold the book to Smiley upon the transaction, like after they had made the transaction, uh, they were making conversation and Smiley told him he had already sold some of the maps implying that he was going to dismantle the book to sell it, which Reese wasn't pleased about because he's a rare book dealer he probably likes to see these things intact Uh, the the check bounced uh, but Reese was eventually able to get payment so I guess uh, some some of the reading and some of the accounts I have read Uh, I guess it was well known that this guy could get really rare maps, but also that, like, demand cash from this guy because his checks will bounce. Mm -hmm. And most people, I guess, did manage to get their money from him eventually, but they really had to hound him. So before his bust here, most people in the industry who were dealing with him would demand cash instead of letting him pay in a check because they knew that would probably bounce if they got a check from him. So that's not. You're a like ah,
1: good... oh, this guy <laughs> notorious <laughs> check bouncer.
0: There's a lot of people who also like were were really suspicious of him being kind of scammy because of this, and would specifically mm-hmm. avoid dealing with him. Uh, to the point where uh, some of Reese's rivals, or no, not not so, Reese. Some of uh, Smiley's rivals speculate that Smiley had been unethically sourcing maps much earlier than he admitted to. Uh, Graham Arrader, another map collector, in 1998. When Smiley's contributions to the New York Public Library had been unveiled, uh, publicly wondered how he had found so many rare rare items. Apparently, mm-hmm. Smiley was almost never at industry auctions and was not a member of the Antiquarian Booksellers Association of America, which is the standard trade association most were involved with. So, yeah. they're kind of like, okay, he's not at these auctions where we're getting our stuff. He's not part of our guild. Where is he sourcing these from? Which is like, a big question. Like, really, where was he? If he was such a good map collector, why was he not involved in the with other people?
1: Yeah, it sounds like he knew this one way to get books, so he just kind of went with it. Yeah. Like, he didn't want to put in any, any harder work than he needed to.
0: Yeah, some, there was one article I read that speculated that he had some early success just going on his own, and, like, was legitimately sourcing some some rare maps and rare books pretty early on by himself but of course if you're not like searching out new sources like the, they're not making new ones of these so you kind of have yeah. to be all over the industry and so he probably ran dry after a few years and started kind of getting desperate uh a lot of people speculate in these articles that because of all the all the maps that he's confirmed to have stolen were around the same time that this may have been mm-hmm. driven by the fact that he was having a hard time sourcing new maps and that he had lots of debt so that that may have explained why he started stealing the maps it's like that
1: it's like that one uh, that one scene from brooklyn 99 yeah cool motive but
0: yeah cool motive still theft yeah so and uh, bolstering (laughs) these accusations in 2015 ronald grimm a curator of the boston public uh identified a map that was missing from missing from boston in an antiques dealer catalog they were able to prove it was a stolen map and had it returned they when they went through their logs the last person to examine the map before it went missing in 2003 was smiley this was mm. not one of the sma- uh, maps that smiley admitted to which given that like he volunteered the information about the 97 maps tells like he probably volunteered the ones he figured he's going to get caught on yeah and obviously there's some more out there that he had some involvement with that he didn't admit to so who knows how long he's been doing this for especially since mm-hmm. like these are rare books people aren't looking at them very often the curators often don't know what's supposed to be in them because they're they're not an expert on that book they're just a museum curator Yeah. so he could have been stealing maps his entire career and no one would be the wiser until he got caught in the wake of all this the uh, libraries have tightened their security restrictions Beneke now has the reading areas under constant video surveillance. Uh, many collections take better care to audit and, vary and photograph all the exhibits more carefully cataloging the maps specifically. And some of them even have, like, you have to have a staff member in the room with you with the book. Yeah. Uh, Beneke to this day, though, is still open to the public. You do have to go through a, a few things to get access, but generally speaking, they'll give you access. So, like, even you or I, like, not having anything to do with the university, not being academics, not being scholars, mm-hmm. like, if we go take some some courses with them on how to handle these properly, take some basic background checks to make sure we're not, you know, map thieves,
1: Yeah. <laughs> they, they will
0: still let most people have access, which is, like, pretty uh, uh, amendable for them.
1: Yeah, that's honestly really cool. But I do think that, like, a lot of places, like museums and libraries and stuff, they value, like the freedom of information and the sharing the resources while of course there are like some things that again like you can't access unless you're a specialist for the most part they want people to be able to access this information
0: yeah public universities like generally speaking even when you're not a student are going to value the free access to information like mm-hmm. incidentally if anyone out there is in any of the sciences and you there's a research paper behind a paywall you want to want to get access to Look up which university that that scientist or, or doctor works for, because uh, they're probably working for a university, and send them an email. Mm-hmm. Odds are they'll send a paper to you. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a little that's a little pro tip for like the, the scientific literature out there. You can pay for access to the scientific journals, or you can email the author, and probably eighty percent of the time they'll be like, "Yeah, sure, here's the paper."
1: They'll be like, "Oh, you want to read this? Hell yeah!"
0: Yeah, they're they're excited that like someone wants to read it, especially since like, who just reads papers for fun?
1: That's, yeah, that's fair.
0: So that is the story of the map thief.
1: I understand, like, doing things out of desperation, but with a name like Forbes Smiley the Third, maybe don't commit crime.
0: (laughs) Also, like, it's a little bit surprising to see from a guy like this, because, like, I get he was kind of sketchy and stuff like that. Um, I will note that one thing I forgot to leave into the story is that Mm -hmm. he did not collect maps he collected like rare gardening books that his dad like uh, that his dad was collecting and he continued collecting those but he did not personally collect maps he only collected them to sell them but
1: yeah it, it sounds like somebody who like saw the monetary gain of the item and not the historical value of the item itself you know what i mean
0: Yeah, and you see this with any collecting, but I am a little bit surprised that he would be so quick to tear apart books and stuff like that, given that he also did collect rare books, just not map books.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe he also, like, subscribed to the mentality that maps were just, like, part of the book. Like, I don't know how to explain it, other than, like, you can be a collector of something, but still not value the entire item for what it is. I so mean, because he was collecting rare gardening books, I think him looking at these books that had maps in them, he may not have seen the maps himself as like precious items and instead just been like, well, somebody else does and they'll pay for it.
0: Yeah well, you see this in every collection like you you collect you collect dolls I collect vintage cameras and yeah. one thing that irritates me is like I've been collecting a set of of this is for camera people out there pentax q lenses and they did sell them as sets in fact i'm pretty sure you can only buy them as a set and there's a couple additional ones but i have to go buy them all individually because people will buy these sets and break them up to sell them all individually because obviously you can make more money that way and like i understand it but it is very annoying from a historical preservation point of view because like you know they didn't keep the packaging you know they didn't keep the manuals they threw those out because you can't really sell those for much And so now I'm having to, like, go pick around eBay to find all the bits and pieces to complete the collection.
1: I mean, my collecting is is definitely different, though, because I collect... Okay, this is for the doll people out there. (laughs) I collect Playline dolls, which are mass-produced plastic dolls that you can get anywhere. And people will take their Playline dolls from, like, 10 years ago out of the box that have been played with by children, which is like totally valid. That's what they're supposed to be used for. Um and they'll sell them for like a hundred dollars because they know that people are looking for these dolls when they're not rare and they are in poor condition. But people will spend the money for it because that's all that's the only option that they have.
0: Yeah, we're starting to see it with cameras now too. Like camera lenses I recently saw a Pentax 50 millimeter f2 sell for like a hundred bucks and like anyone who's like in the pentax would be like what the fuck are you talking about because <laughs> those are the most common lens i think that were ever made because they mm-hmm. it was the default lens that just came with your camera when you bought it and so like they're they're good lenses but like they're not valuable in any way like i've, yeah. I've got a stack of them here like i would say they're worth probably about 10 bucks each but because people see old film camera and think valuable like now the prices are just inflating, so now it's hard to get one for less than 100 bucks because everyone thinks they're worth that now.
1: Yeah, so uh, just a little PSA for all the girlies on Poshmark who are selling, like, sets of four naked Monster High dolls for, like, $100. I wish you a very go-fuck-yourself. Thanks.
0: Yeah, same to all the people who go and buy up lots of lenses and just sell them for hundreds of dollars on eBay without <laughs> any even looking into what they actually sell for yeah like go fuck yourself
1: <laughs> this has been a lovely message from us here at let's do a crime podcast to the second hand market go fuck yourself
0: go fuck yourself and don't <laughs> steal maps
1: oh yeah no absolutely not get into collecting satisfy that weird primordial crow brain compulsion that we have to have things around us at all times forever don't deal things and don't break things up to then sell them into little pieces
0: you want to do the the email outro
1: yeah so we have an email address uh it's let's do a crime at gmail.com that's l-e-t-s-d-o-a-c-r-i-m-e- at gmail.com and if you have any crime cases that you want us to cover that aren't related to murder you can hit us up there and let us know what case it is that you are interested in hearing us cover
0: okay that's all for this time bye